you are now listening to My Faithway Podcast. You can now find us on every major platform. And don't forget to visit our Facebook page with live services every Sunday at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you want to become a partner or simply make a one-time donation, please text the word FAITHWAY to 77977. Click send and you will receive a link for further instruction. Feel free to comment on our Facebook Live stream services or visit our page at myfaithway.org. Now let's experience life in a new way, the Faithway. So she has greeted you. It's official. And I got another one, little one, somewhere in the building. I was going to show her off, but I guess they hid her from me. You good this morning? Let's get into the Word. Find my Bible. It's good to have a Bible up here. Something about electronic Bible doesn't feel the same as a paper Bible. I just, I'm old school, I guess. Something about this one. At least I can hit somebody with this one. You can't hit somebody with the electronic one. You have to hit them with a whole iPad. Praise God. Father, we just thank you. Turn me down a little bit. Father, we just thank you for the word this morning. We thank you, Father, for this house and what this house represents. And Father, we're not here gathered in the name of Faithway. We're here gathered in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's the only reason we're here. So Lord, speak to us. Teach us something that we individually need to hear and that we corporately need to hear. Give us both sides of this thing, the ones that are very personal to us and the ones that we need to hear as a church. And I give you all the glory for this church, all the people that are here, all the online church that's watching, Father, that engaged with us in, in the same thing, and I just give you glory and praise. Amen. All right. I'll address a couple things at the end of the service. I was going to do it here, but we'll just do it at the end. So the, the premise, for those of you that weren't here last week or if you weren't able to follow it last week on, online, it's a long story how I get these messages, but it is kind of part two of the last series. It wasn't really intended to, but now I see how it works together. And it really came about, you know, just, I guess, some, <laughs> some soul-searching and, and some different things that I've been dealing with. And I just want to read a couple of my notes here, so, you, so just to introduce where we are. But the... It kind of started thinking about, you know, the, a lot of, we have a lot of Christian, what I call Christian cliches. Some of them are good, some are bad, some are overused, and some are just completely heretical, <laughs> you know, because they're not in the Word. You know, God helps those that help themselves. That's not in the Bible. Just so you know, I mean, it's cute, but it's not in the Bible. Um, and one of them is like, you know, Jesus is the answer. And yes, he is. He's the answer for a lot of things. But as I was thinking and processing some of these things, um, when you talk about an answer versus a question, an answer is finite. In other words, you ask a question, where are you going? You say, Laredo, that's the end of the conversation, right? I mean, unless something else happens, it, it pretty much stops, um, you know, engagement. And if you study the rabbinical way of teaching the Bible, or the way the rabbis teach it, which Jesus was part of that school, rabbinical school, is they were, one of the styles of teaching of, of the rabbis was, was the questions approach. And Jesus, you know, in, in the Bible, he asks 307, you know, you know, he's asked, you know, all these questions, 307 of them. He answers very few with, with, with a finite statement. He answers most questions with a question, right? So when you say Jesus is the answer, you know, that's pretty good. And, you know, we get it. He answers a lot of things. But what if we just were to approach it into what is Jesus is the question and then try to 
let our minds and our thinking, because one of the things that a lot of this came about, and again, I, I want to walk carefully into this, because I don't want to go too deep into what I'm about to say, but, you know, Christians, you know, for ex- I'll give you another example of, of Christians' cliches, as you know, there's freedom in Jesus. Well, that's truth, but the fact is, you know, reality is that a lot of us still have a lot of things we've got to process, right? So freedom is not 100%. You know, maybe freedom from hell, but there's a lot of other areas where freedom needs to be talked about. And one of the things that we find is, well, you know, where the Spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. That's not a cliche. That's a scripture. And, but here's the thing. Where the Spirit of the Lord, there's freedom. And I think we should be engaging in, in a process of spiritual, if I could put it this way, spiritual free thinking. But it's hard to be spiritually free thinking when you've been taught a certain way where you're, now you're confined. So we're saying, hey, where the Spirit of the Lord is, freed, is freedom. But before you can pursue that, you've got to think like us. So spiritual freedom can't be obtained when spiritual thought is controlled. Right? Because if I tell you how to think, then you're not really free. <laughs> you get it? And that's what religion does. If we're not careful, that's what Faithway does. That's what every denomination does. You know, they, we, we say, come, to, come with us, engage with us, and we're going to teach you how to think about the Bible. And that is a very dangerous thing. Because a lot of us are walking around with a lot of ideas that not the God didn't t- teach us, our religion teaches and one of the dangers of those, you all still tracking with me? Is that same, now I've never heard it in this context, but it comes across, is that if you ever have a question, no, you're not supposed to question, you're just only supposed to believe. Well, that's a violation to what Jesus taught. Yes, we're supposed to believe, but we're supposed to ask questions too. Amen? So... This idea of being inquisitive is very, very important because there are truths that you're never going to find in God unless you, you go there and dig for them. You know, I can teach everything I want to, but unless you go beyond this and say, because Jesus, you know, Jesus is the question, and then my subtitle to this message, and this is the one that's going to make your head go tilt, but if you let it sink in, it'll, it'll help you with deeper thought. Because Christians, I'll, I'll tell you, across the board, I'm not talking to anybody specifically, but including me, Sometimes we can get very shallow in our, in our spiritual thinking. That was, you know, that was the premise of the last series. So, you know, we talked about being deep into shallow. What about being shallow into deep things? You know, I'm just kind of flipping it on you now. So now we're shallow. We say, okay, we're Christian, we're spiritual, but we, there's so much more that God is trying to show us, but, but we're binding ourselves with a lot of things that aren't really the idea that God had for us. And that's really where I'm at. So, I, you know, so I'm willing to question everything. And I think, you know, if something has taught us the last two years of our lives is that we need to question everything. Yeah. Amen? But what happens when you come to the Bible, there's an area where, you know, whatever your denomination or your religion or whatever you grew up with, if you're not careful, that could get planted in your spirit. Say, don't, just qu- don't question anything about the church. Don't question anything about your denomination. No, no, just believe. Well, that's dangerous. Because if I tell you something to believe that's not really biblically correct, then what happens? Now we have a cult. Right? <laughs> All right? And that's where you have to, that, this is where this is going. So Jesus really wanted the believer and the people that are approaching him to come to him with this idea. So what I did is I picked, out of the 307 questions, you know, I picked, well, actually it was, let me, let me give you the number, right, because I'm all over the map. I don't want to say a stat and then you come back and say, well, Jesus asks 307 different questions. He only is asked 183 Jesus directly answers 
eight of the 183 questions he asked. That might not be a long friendship with somebody, right? Every time you ask them a question, they answer you with a question. You only answered eight out of 183. So if you'd like numbers, if you like statistics, Jesus is 40 times more likely to ask a question than he is to give you a direct answer. And if Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, well, I think he's still doing the same thing. But if we have a preconceived idea of things the way, so we'll go to Jesus with questions, but if you're not careful, you already got the answer. So you're not really looking for an answer, you're looking for an agreement. Amen. And that is, again, you know, if you really want to, you could get this Bible to agree with whatever. It would be out of context, it would be heretical, but you could probably find enough scriptures and just twist them enough to agree with whatever you, issue you have in your life. That's not what we're here. We are here trying to pursue you know, a spirituality not that makes me look more spiritual to people, but makes me closer to God. Because that's the bottom line. You know, thank God you're in church this morning. And thank God we have an online audience. But at the end of the day, your relationship is between you and God. You can't take all of us. We can't take the band when you're having a bad day. You can't call Kathy and come and say, sing a few praise and worship songs because I'm just depressed today. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. You have to have a personal relationship. And if you're not careful, you, you know, our personal relationship becomes secondary to the personal relationship we have with the church. Amen. I'm just on one of those trips, right? You're like, oh boy, where is he going with all this? I'm trying to get you to get to a place where you and Jesus are best buddies. But unless you're asking the right questions, it's going to be hard to really know him. Because you know another thing that questions do? Questions create intimacy, right? You know, you didn't, you didn't meet your better half depending on who is making the comment, right? Which is the better half. You didn't just, hey, you want to get married? What's your name? <laughs> there were questions asked, and you got to know the, hopefully, you got to know the person and talked. And, you know, questions build relationships. Questions keep your mind engaged in a conversation. So we're going to just, we just took four questions, and I'm trying to approach them. So we're going to go through these. Last week we did two, so I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to dig into those. You know, if you, if you weren't here last week, you can go back to the podcast, I'm sure, if you care enough to do it. So the first question, I just picked four, you know, but it, the thing's growing on me, so I'm not sure where we're going. I was thought we'd be done today, but who knows. Number one was, what are you looking for? John 135. And again, you go back and listen to everything I talked about. But sometimes, you know, just a quick, quick summary is, we, we, we don't even really know what we're looking for. So sometimes the question you've got to ask God is, what am I really looking for? Not just the obvious. Everybody knows the obvious. And the second question is that we, that we dealt with is, who are you looking for? You know, what are you looking for? Who are you looking for? You know, are you looking just for a, a miracle worker? You know, are you looking, who are you looking for? Are you looking for the risen Messiah? Because this question was asked at Mary at the tomb, and it was asked by Jesus. You know, the angels were there, but then when she walked in, Jesus was standing in the back, and she's trying to figure out what happened. He goes, who are you looking for? Because even with knowing if somebody knew this was Messiah, it was Mary, right? If somebody on this planet knew it was Messiah, it was Mary. And nonetheless, she's still wondering, because she went there to prepare a body. She didn't go there to celebrate a resurrected Christ. So that, you know, and again, you go back last week and listen to what we talked about, because that is a very profound one, you know, our approach to Jesus. What we're going to do today, I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 29, Verses 34, and the third question we're going to deal with today, because this is a really good one, 
is what do you want me to do for you? And let, let's find out in the context of where that question was asked. So Matthew 20, verse 29 says, As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him, and two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd sternly told him to be quiet, but they cried out all the more, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? Now, everything we're seeing, before we get their answer, you've got you, you know, you to stop and think about this whole scenario because there's something deeper that, that we're missing because you know, if we just keep it at the superficial level of what we've been taught, well, it's a cute little story. It's a wonderful story. Jesus healed two blind men. We're good to go. But, it, but the, the thing that has to be addressed is why did he ask this question? Because, you know, hello, Mr. Obvious, you've got two blind people in front of you. <laughs> What do you want? Obviously, the, 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 the answer that's obvious to everybody around there, including the two blind people, because they answered it, was, I want my sight back. I want my eyes healed. But here's what's interesting about this question. Jesus knew they were blind, so why would he ask them that? Because I think, you know, not only did he ask them for a situation that was here, you know, Jesus knows that, the, that, that, that he is the word and that the word is being written and that at some point, 2,000 plus years later, there's going to be a church talking about it. You don't think he knows all that? I mean, he knows everything, right? So when he asks the question, what do you want me to do? To me, it seems like, you know, he's asking that I see what you, but obviously you need, but what is it really that you need? Think about it. Because this whole thing is, you know, first of all, Jesus is walking by. He's not, there's really no, it's not on his agenda, go heal blind people. Just like we learned last week, he's walking by the disciples of John. He didn't stop to chat with them. He's walking by. There's a lot of times that Jesus is walking by our lives, but he's, you know, he's not, you know, yes, he's here yesterday, today, and forever, but unless there's an engagement on your part, he could very well keep walking by that situation. He's not going to leave you, but unless we're asking the right questions, we're not going to get the right answers. And here's one of those scenarios that we see. He says, what do you want me to do for you? You know, the blind guys are thinking, uh, hello, <laughs> we're blind. Here you got the, you know, obviously they've heard about him. Obviously they know that he is the miracle worker. And let me tell you, you know, they've been blind. There's no known cure for their eyesight at the time that it was. So if they are going to receive their eyesight, it has to be a miracle. Do you agree with that? Supernatural, 100% miracle. So at that point, why don't you think about what he's asking? Because now he's saying, what do you want me to do for you? Watch, watch, Watch how shallow we can be, because this is sometimes how we engage God. What do you want me to do, Lord? I just need a light bill paid. All right. What if we would have gone deeper? What if we would have gone, Lord, not only do I want to pay my light bill, but I want to pay the light bill for the church this morning. See, and that's not even that deep. That's just one step deeper. What if you say, what do you want me to do, Lord? I said, Lord, I never, ever want to, in my whole life, ever struggle with an electrical payment ever again. All right? You got it down one step deeper. But you're still not deep enough. Do you see where we're going with this? Because you still have the same miracle worker, and he's responding to everything you're going you're gonna to ask him. So what happens if you say, Lord, I want to live a life of abundant supply. 
where not only you will, I will have all my needs met, but I can meet the needs of a lot of people. Now you've gone another step deeper. But we started with paying my light bill. I'm, just, I'm being silly with this, but I'm trying to get you engaged in the same situation with these guys. What do you want me to do? Heal my eyesight. Okay, eyes healed. What if you would have asked, restore me? What if you would have asked, even deeper, use me for your glory? Because for them to be used, they're going to have to be healed, right? And they're going to have to have resources, right? So all they got back is their eyesight, where they had the potential to have their whole life restored to them and never have one bad day in their life again because they have the miracle worker standing in front of them, but the miracle worker is going to engage them at their level of request. And I think sometimes, you know, as believers, we don't see that this is, a, this is a very important question because when you come to Jesus and say, Lord, help me, he's going to say, what do you want me to do for you? And our response is, well, hello, look at my life. You know, pull out your little magic wand and fix it. Okay. Let, let, let's, just use, let's just use an analogy that, that I think everybody can relate to. Let's just use the analogy of money, because that's something we all can relate to. Or, or you could even use sickness. It would all work. It would all work. But the analogy of money is really interesting, because if you stand before God and you say, what do you want me to do for you? You know, pay my bills. Well, I kind of went down that path, right? Well, let's, let's move it over. Same thing. Lord, heal me of COVID, or protect me. Or, you know, heal me of whatever. Heal me of, you know, athlete's foot. Whatever. Just something. Okay? You're healed. But the depth would have been, Lord, what does it take to walk in divine health? Grant me divine health. Okay, so we go back to the, I'm just kind of ping-ponging these analogies. Lord, get me out of debt. That's not a bad request. But the problem is, you keep getting yourself into debt. Y'all want to leave right now, or y'all wait till the end? Because, all right, I'll give, you, I'll give you a personal example then. For months and months, probably a couple, no, more months, but it's been at least a year and a half, I damaged both of them, well, not, it wasn't one damage, it was, I guess, overworking you know, at 55, you're like an old car. You got to keep it going, right? You got to. And I damaged both of my Achilles tendons, and it's it was painful, and it's been painful. And sometimes it'd be good. And I went to doctors, and they didn't help me. And you know, they just took my money, <laughs> like the woman with the issue of blood, right? And I kept asking, Lord, healing, 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 healing. What do you want me to do? Heal, heal me, heal me, heal me, heal me, heal me, heal me, heal me. But then I asked, Lord, what do I need to do? And it comes, you know, slap in the face. That's what it is. You need to lose weight. That's the answer. Not that you care, but, you know, I've managed to drop a few. Guess what? The Achilles tendons are healed. Isn't that amazing? So was it a supernatural healing or not? Because the same thing God told me is the same thing the doctor told me. Pay attention to this, because this is why Christians, this is why we're asking the wrong questions and we're coming up with the wrong answers when we are asked the right questions. Lord, heal me of this situation in my feet. I want a supernatural touch healed. The Lord says, I can do that. But what is your part to it? Same thing with getting out of debt. What is your part? Lord, get me out of debt. 
Maybe you should ask, Lord, put, plant something in me so I don't get into debt. And, and this is what I'm telling you about spiritual thought being controlled that, that is so damaging to the church because this is, you know, I'm, I'm really resolving this. God is everywhere. God is part of our life. But I've said this many times, many years, but I'm getting even a more clear understanding now in the last few weeks, is that God is a God of the impossibles. But a lot of times, he lets you figure out the possibles. And sometimes we're praying for a lot of possibles. Amen. What you don't want to do with Jesus is disconnect yourself from reality. That's dangerous. There's a real world, and there's a spiritual world. And you've got to learn to navigate them both. And then you've got to learn how they, they cross, where the natural world and the spiritual world cross. So if you can imagine a circle, which I had an illustration, and then you can imagine another circle, and they, and they both, you know what I'm saying, kind of come in something like that. You know what I'm saying? A circle within, you know, not, not within a circle, but you've got two circles touching each other. Spiritual, natural. And sometimes we're mixing it all up and we're, we're asking for spiritual things that need to be resolved in the natural when the solution to the natural answer is in you. Now, God can help you with it. Don't misunderstand me because I still needed, whatever I did in my life, I needed certain adjustments. Y'all know the definition of stupidity, right? Okay. Some of you don't know it. Some of you said you didn't know it. Some of you said you don't. Some of you know somebody you didn't agree, or some of you are just not going to answer anything I say today, which is fine. But my point is, you're not going to get different results doing the same thing. So when you come to God and say, Lord, heal me, he might ask you a question, stop eating it. That's, you see, that's, that's where we'll recoil. Because now our flesh is being put under pressure because we asked a question, but we didn't like the answer. Are you you all tracking with me? Because spirituality should be to the point that if you ask Jesus a question, you should be okay with whatever he says, because whatever he says is good for you. Come on, parents, you experience this with your kids? You know, when they hit that ripe old age of 13, and they know everything, all the universe has been granted to them, all the wisdom? Uh Uh-huh. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And all of a sudden they were enlightened. And they know everything about everything, and you're like, oh my gosh. And then you finally just get frustrated and say, okay, just beat your brains out, bud. That's not how it works. Are you still here? That's what, I mean, God is kind of the same way. This instance, third question, if you go back to last week, first question, he was walking by. <laughs> Remember that. He was walking by. He wasn't, he wasn't on a mission to go fix somebody's life. He was going walking by. Jesus, I believe he's walking by our life all day, all the time. He goes, maybe just walks around in circles. But he's walking by. And it's up to us to engage him and bring him, but at the same time be ready for the response. Because, you know, this this is where the spiritual... You know, this is where the spiritual thought being controlled gets kind of funky and weird, at least in my context, because, you know, the Bible says you can believe God for 120 years. And yeah, that's a good, that, that's my goal. If, you know, if I hit 100, I guess I'm doing good, right? You know, if I get to there, fine. If I don't get to there, fine, because heaven's my home. Say amen. But I am not going to live 120 years. There's no version of me living 120 years with a destructive lifestyle. 
You can pray till you go blue in the face. You can fast till there's nothing left of you. You just fast till you're completely skin and bones, and you're still eating and, and living a destructive lifestyle and not using the right nutrients and not using the right food and not educating yourself on the natural function of the body. And now you're 70 and you got all kinds of ailments and you over here believe when you were 50 you were believing God to live 110 but you didn't change anything. Amen. This is where, you know, you know the Bible, in the book of Isaiah says, let us reason. <laughs> I think in Christianity there's a lot of non-reasoning going on right now. I saw a guy that actually has a soapbox. H, it says soapbox. You see that? I need one of those. So every once in a while, when I want to get on a soapbox, I can just pull it and get on my soapbox. So you imagine there's a box. Everybody know what a soapbox is? Like a speech. Eh. Vent. Eh. I'll give you a little soapbox moment. Let's talk a little bit about this COVID thing. Just briefly. I'm really done talking about it. I'm just so bored with it. It's real, yes. It's dangerous, yes. Killing people, yes. I've just done way too many funerals where the word COVID was involved. And everyone is heartbreaking, everyone is, it, it, it drains us emotionally. You know, we're humans, you know, we're not rocks. And then you have two extremes. You have the one extreme that says, be forced to take this thing. Then you have the other extreme, we're not taking it for no reason. Both extremes are wrong. Because reasoning brings you to the middle, Right? Are you also with me? Now, what I'm saying is I respect completely, but I'm tired of hearing some of these things. So you have the extreme right that says, no, no, the government's, you know, injecting us with whatever they're going to inject us. Well, first of all, they already injected 200 million people, so if you, don't, if you need, like, a number to base on if it's going to kill you or not, there's 200 million people already with this thing. So there's reason. What is in it? How does it work? Study it out. Don't, don't, don't go because the news said or because this said. But here's the funny part of Christians, because I talk to both sides. And now we have a new racism, the vax versus the anti-vax. That is so sick and so disgusting. Amen. But the reasoning to me as a believer says, okay, can God protect you from COVID? Just say yes or no. All of you, please answer yes or no. Can God protect you from COVID? You ready for the next question? Because we're talking about questions, right? Can God protect you from the side effects of the vaccine. That's reason. If you want to talk spiritual reason, that's reason. The same God that's protecting me almost two years of not getting COVID is the same God that's going to protect me from any side effects. But when you see 93% of the people hospitalized right now are unvaccinated, reason. Just reason it out. I'm not going to tell you what to do with your life. It's your own personal life. But you see, if we're not careful... My, my whole point of that illustration was that's our thinking. It can be, you know, controlled in a very toxic way. And there's probably people that, you know, did not have to navigate through a lot of problems because, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not pro anything. I'm pro Jesus. That's it. I, don't, you know, I really don't care about anything else. Except the fact is that as a pastor, there's a place of reason. And, and if you're not careful, then you get on these extremes, and the, way, the reason you get to these it's all part of the message, don't, don't, don't lose my soapbox moment. The reason we end up at these extremes is because we're not willing to do this. Ask God more questions. Have you asked God about the vaccine? And whatever he tells you, you do that. 
That you do that. Don't do anything. Don't do what pastor said. Don't do what the media said. Don't, just do whatever God tells you. Well, how do I know, pastor, he's speaking to me? Well, I, the only way I know he speaks to me is through following peace. That's all I got. That's the only way I know in my life that God will direct me. So if I get absolute peace over something, then I'm just going to go ahead and believe that that's God directing me. And if I don't have peace, I, don't, you know, I just don't go there. Whatever that is, from buying a car to getting a vaccine, I don't care. Whatever it is, you, let, you and God figure it out, and then you, you got in your family, and then you got in your doctor. Because if, you know, the same people that are saying no to the vaccine, and again, I'm not picking on them because both sides are crazy. If you go to the end, if you can bring it down to the middle, everybody's got a good valid point. Even the left has valid points, the right has valid points. But when you, when you radicalize it, it, it gets crazy. So that's the place where the questions come because the reasoning is, if I'm, really wanting, if I'm really saying that who I am as a believer, because, you know, the first thing we say as Christians is we are followers of Christ. That's what Christian means. And the next level is disciple of Christ. So an imitator of Christ, so it would be reason that before you go anywhere, you go to God before you make any opinion about anything else because, you know, we have everybody trying to grab your opinions. I mean, what do you think TV is? You know, you don't want something, you're fine without it until you see an advertisement about it, then you think you can't live without it. You were fine until that ad came up. Can you say amen? Amen, right? And that is what? They're using your, you know, again, that's just the way the system works. They're trying to get your head. So when God asks you, what do you want, it should really bring me to a place of saying, stop. Before I ask him for the healing, before I ask him for the whatever I'm asking, is this really the key issue of the situation in my life. That's where I'm going with this. Because if we ask the right questions, we're going to get the right answers. Or if we ask the right questions, we're going to get the answer that's going to fix it, not just put a Band-Aid on it. Because if I ask God to pay my light bill, that's a Band-Aid. Because there's a key issue. The key issue is, why don't you have enough money to pay your light bill? Maybe you got laid off, maybe you had a short week. It can be a lot of reasons. Don't, don't, I'm not judging, I'm not putting it. But, but the question is something else. Because we are professing, we believe in a God of prosperity. We believe in a God that we are blessed coming in, blessed we're going out. We believe in a God that has empowered us to prosper so we can be a blessing. So if I find myself, and I'm, talking, I'm not talking to new baby Christians. If you're a new baby Christian, learn and you're going to grow up. I'm talking to those of us that have been doing this for a while. So, so where I'm going with this, you know, this kind of question, which is, what do you want me to do, makes me stop and rethink whatever I'm going to ask him. Are you also with me? And there's nothing wrong with prayer lists, and there's nothing wrong with prayer requests, but sometimes if we can just resolve what the key issue is. What is the key issue? And sometimes they're so disconnected. I'm, 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 going to, I'm playing with all these analogies, but hopefully you can engage it. So if I say, Lord, help me pay my light bill this month, Maybe the key issue is not money. Maybe the key issue is fear. Right? Because we've resolved something. You know, you can't be, you can't be faithing and fearing and, and, and get, you know, you, whatever you fear, you're going to get. Whatever you faith, you're going to get. I know that's horrible English, but you get it. Whatever you fear, you're going to get. So maybe fear is driving the fact that now you're afraid your lights are going to get cut out. Lord, help me pay my light bill. So do you need money? Or do you need a higher level of faith? 
And I'm not asking, I'm not talking about faith to get money. I'm talking faith that learned, that has taught you to trust him. That even though you see the situation dark, you have so much experience that you're like, you know what, Lord? Because here's what, here's what I'm trying to resolve, people. How many, how many things are we asking God for that he already gave us? So that's a wasted question. My God, say that, my God, will supply all my needs according to his riches in glory through Christ Jesus. Okay, that little scripture, if you believe it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, which I do, if you believe that's God's word for you, which I do, guess what? All my light bills are there. So am I wasting my time asking for something that he... Because, you see, now the issue is not the light bill. Because he said he would supply my needs. More than once. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want money to pay my light bill. I know this is really silly, but if you get it at this level of... You're going to get it. There's a whole slew of things that God said, I've already done it. And the church is very shallow because we're always asking God to bless us in the areas that he already said you're blessed. So the fact that you don't have money for your light bill cannot be a lack of blessing because God said he will supply it. So if the supply is not there, then we really got to start asking some more questions. Because now the question is not, Lord, pay my light bill. It says, Lord, how come I don't have the money? That sounds different, right? Because now it's not on him. You enjoying this, H? <laughs> this is, I know that H is thinking process. So he's like, yeah, I like that. You can do part two. <laughs> we have to learn to ask the right questions. Don't ever be afraid to start your prayer with a question instead of a request. I've been doing this lately. Woo, it's changing my whole approach to things now. Because I'm, I'm saying, Lord, no doubt I did it. Okay, we're going to practice this, Lord. It's hard because after 30 years, if Lord, give me this, give me that, give me this, give me that, you know. It's Lord, what do I pray today? And then just shut up, be still, and know that he is God. But I got this whole list. Shut up. You know, he knows you got the list. He's like Santa Claus. He got the list. He checked in twice. <laughs> he, know, he, knew, he knew you had that list before you showed up. What about all this faith that you teach? No, that, that hasn't changed. Faith hasn't changed. But is it maybe some of these superficial things that we're asking God is a lack, not a lack of faith, but they're more fear-driven than word-driven? That's all I'm saying. Our approach to God is, is important. So Jesus asks two blind men, what do you need? So obviously he was hoping that the question would be deeper so he could provide according to their faith. So if the answer would have been, I want restoration over my life and over everybody right here, thank you, sir. The same Jesus that opened their blind eyes could have just blessed that whole multitude. Yes or no? So now do you see where we're going with this? Now let me read you a couple notes of this and we'll go to the last question. You all still here with me this morning? I'm trying to help you guys. All right. One of the things that this question helps is also to adjust your point of view. Let me give you a definition of point. That was, so, that was pretty interesting when I was trying to define the word perspective, because, that boy, you talk about a message. 
And the best definition I came up with perspective, listen to this, point of view, the capacity to view things, pay attention, in their true relation or relative of importance. So this kind of question, where it's going, is trying to get your perspective different. You know the old little silly sayings, they say, you know, what is this? Is this a half, you know, the little bottle half full or half empty? Some people say it's half full, some people say it's half empty. If you say half empty, you're just a negative thing, aren't you? I mean, it's a stupid analogy, I mean, it's, but they, you know, they use that little illustration. But perspective really is everything, because if our perspective is skewed about what God, and can, God can and can't do, we will be the ones that put the limitations on God, like they did. God, Jesus is God. I learned something up in New York that Pastor Dan taught was so good. He, he broke down the, the, the whole Hebrew thing, and it was just really, really good. And, you know, and the word Jesus is Lord from the Hebrew, you know what it means? Yeshua is Yahweh. In other words, it's the same thing. It's an equal sign. Yeshua is God. Yeshua is Yahweh. You got the creator. You got the God that breathes galaxies standing in front of you, and he's asking you, what do you want? And we're like, uh, it's just my remote's not working. Can you fix it? My iPhone's not turning on, Lord. Do you see it now? How shallow sometimes we're, because we, we're, we're dealing with Yahweh is, you know, Yeshua is Yahweh, Jesus is Lord, that means he is everything. And, th- and that is the perspective. Our perspective needs to be, our optics need to be adjusted, because that was that was question is, what do you need? Because what you think you need, there's something way deeper than what your first impression of what you need is that you need. And I think we need to start with that scripture that I quoted in Philippians, it says, my God will supply all my needs. Once you start with that scripture, then let's pray. Because you're going to be, you're going to find out how how amazing your prayer life turns when you when you don't have to go to God with a bunch of requests. We created systems within the church that work. They're practical. People kind of embrace. You know, a lot most people don't like a lot of different things. But even our prayer services are, are I think, should be different because you know nothing wrong with prayer requests, and we've seen amazing answered prayer. But if we're not careful, we will really, really, really leave our prayer. For example, our prayer service in a very superficial place. It will be just a monotone, repeat, you know, heal this, heal her, pay this, pay that, thank you, Jesus, amen. You go study the prayers of Paul, which we've done in our prayer services, they sound nothing like our prayer services. His prayers are, Lord, give me, enlighten me, show me, show me how deep is your love. He's not, he, you know, Paul's not asking for stuff. In his presence, there's Fullness. What does that even mean? That his presence is everything you need. So instead of asking for the light bill, what about his presence? So the question is, really, what do I need, God, before you come with your preconceived ideas? Because it's obvious you need something, and he knows what you need. But maybe there's something deeper, like faith, like trust, like just being able to rely on him in in the storms of life and not being crushed by every single storm that hits you. You know, one of the, one of the things that, that I believe needs to be taught more in the church, and, and I'm actually working already on that series, and it's really just based on the whole idea of casting your cares, but, it, but it's going deeper. It's not just, oh, I've heard that. No, you haven't heard what I'm going to give you because it's, I've never heard it. But the idea that God presents us that with, with things that are circle of influence. Okay, now, because this, this is going to, if you, if you want a word to set you free this morning, it's going to help you a lot. That 
circle. Let's say this is your, let, let me just use this pulpit as an illustration. So if this is me, this is my life, and I can control every little aspect that's within this circle. I mean, in a good way, you know, me or whatever. That there's so many things outside of this circle that I have absolutely zero control over. You have zero control over COVID. You can make some decisions about it, you know, we already went. You have zero control over a lot of things. That we spend a lot of time putting ourselves in a knot by all this stuff that's exterior to us. We waste a lot of time, a lot of prayer, a lot of, you know, getting mad at something. You know, you turn on the news, you watch it for a while, you get really mad, and then you figure out, I have no, I can't, you know, the only thing I can do is vote, and then they'll probably steal that, so it doesn't really matter. I mean, I mean come on, you, don't, you know. The Spanish would say, no se puede tapar el sol con un dedo. I mean, you can't cover the sun with your finger. You know, let's just stop playing games about the election and what happened and what didn't happen. But even that, you see, so if they steal my vote, I have no control over that. You know, I can post a few things on Facebook and throw my fist up, but other than that... I have little, very little control. So I need to start putting some of these things outside of my sphere of influence. Follow me. Because the questions that God's, you're going to ask God and the engagement of Jesus wants is that he wants you to understand how to navigate within your circle. Because that's what he'll hold you responsible for. Everything that's in your circle, your family, your family, everything, everything in that circle, that's what God will hold you responsible for. Everything that's exterior that circle, God, and, and we spend, I'm talking about myself now, I spent way too much time trying to be over here and God said, that's none of your business. Because we don't have any control. And the quicker you realize that, the better your life becomes. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. You don't have control over people. Amen. You know, I mean, when they're like three, maybe. <laughs> but other than that, you don't, you know, so stop trying to control people. You don't have a control over a lot of things. So why worry about the stuff that's outside of your control? That's really the idea of casting your cares. The areas that I have finally resolved that I can't fix, I just throw them over there in the God side. Well, what if he doesn't fix it? It makes a bit of difference if he does or he doesn't because it doesn't matter what happens now because they're completely out of my control. They're out of my control naturally and they're out of my control supernaturally. So I just cast my care. See, I'm already preaching my message. I'm not supposed to do that. If not, y'all won't come back. Number four. This is a good one. Let's go to the last one. I just skipped a bunch of good notes, but anyway. Mm-mm-mm. Number four. This is, a, this, is a, this is a good one. Who do you say I am? Is he Lord? Matthew 16, 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that our John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said unto them, But whom do you say that I am? Now, there are two questions here. And, you know, again, you get preconceived ideas on teaching things, even as a pastor, as a minister. And we've, oh my gosh, we've taught this thing for years and years and years. I've done a whole series on the Ecclesia. I've done a lot of study around this scripture. But there's a question that we keep ignoring. Because in this exchange, there are two questions that are asked. So yes, the big one is, who do you say I am? We have songs about it. We sing a song that's called that. But, you know, 
Let's go back first into the first question, because the first question is just as important as the second question, because unless you realize what's being asked in the first one, then the second one doesn't really matter. So the first question is, who do men say that I am? Okay, stop with that. The reason this is a powerful statement is because, again, depending on your background, you know, I grew up Baptist, some of you grew up Catholic, some of you might have grown up Pentecostal or other, you know, churches or what have you, and that's fine, I'm not, there's no issue there. The problem is there is that men, Freddie, have told us a lot of things about Jesus, right? Churches have told us a lot about things about Jesus. Religion has told us a lot of things about Jesus. And we have created, once again, a conceived, preconceived idea of who Jesus is, not because of he presented himself to us, but because of who men say that he is. So that's the reason he asks us, who do men, you know, why is this important in this conversation? Because what Jesus is trying to get to is for Peter to speak the word, the Christ. See, the whole engagement with Peter, it's not like Jesus doesn't know what's up. He just needs Peter to go a little bit deeper and to speak out prophetically, who he is. This is vital to the, to, to the mission of Christ for Peter to speak, you are the Christ. That's a prophetic declaration. I won't, I'm not going to get into all that. But before you can say that, who created the image that you have of God? Did Faithway create it? Then it's wrong. Did the Catholic Church, the Baptist Church, who created it? Mama? Daddy? A priest? A pastor? Who created that image? Because if it wasn't created by him, it's not, a, it's not the correct image. Yes? I mean, there's a lot of things that we can teach about Jesus that are correct, but if you're not careful, we become with a preconceived idea of what he can and can't do or what he will and will, won't do. So he asks, the first thing he asks is, who do men say I am, Peter? And then they go through a list, right? Well, you're the prophet, you're Elias, you're this, you're that. So there's a lot of conversation about who Jesus is, and a lot of people are saying who Jesus is, and everything all those people are saying about who Jesus is, is all wrong. Here's a question for you. Do you think this could still be happening today? Yes. Just go ahead and say yes. There's a lot of things that people are saying. There's a whole lot of things that are being done in Christianity today that are done in the name of Jesus that you can't find any way in the Bible where it's even close. But we've accepted it as a Christian thing, right? So the question is, not only who do you say I am, number one is, who do people say I am? Because we, you know, there's a lot of things that God wants to present to us that we don't know anything about him. You know, there, 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 there's a, a vision that Isaiah had in the Bible, in the Old Testament. And, and, and I heard a, a preacher say this, and I, I went with it. I said, I, I like that illustration. It's, it's, it's a, not an illustration. It's an opinion based on the scripture. You don't find exactly this in the scripture. I'm making the whole disclaimer before I say it. But the scripture says this, that the angels, again, just kind of a paraphrasing, the angels of God go around the throne of God and have been going around the throne of God for eternity. They do this, there's no such thing as 24-7 in eternity, but for your understanding it would be 24-7 because there's no time in eternity. But they go around the throne and every time they come around, they say, holy. And it's not like holy, it's like holy. It's a sense of awe. And they've been doing this forever. That's the, that's the Bible. They just they go around the throne of God. Holy, holy, 
Holy is the Lord. Holy is the Lord. Holy is the Lord. That's all they do. And this is, the, this is what I heard somebody say, and I thought, I thought you know, that's interesting. He says, the reason those angels say holy every time they swing around the front of, of the throne of God, and they've been doing this for eternity, is because they see something they've never seen before. And I thought that was so awesome. Because, again, we're confining, by not asking the right questions, we're confining Christ into the ideas of what men told us to think. Who do you say I am? What do men say I am? So here's a question for you. Do you say who he is based on what men said who he is? Or do you say who he is based on your personal relationship with him? Because I can, you know, you can say a lot of Pastor Boxes said. You can say a lot of HH said. You can a lot of, you know, there's a lot of those. We can, you know, but, but, but who do you say he is? Because, you know, I could tell you all the stories of how Jesus healed my granddaughter and did this and he's amazing. And that's wonderful. But all those stories are me telling you who he is. And that should help you and should inspire you and should maybe, you know, give you a nice, fuzzy, warm feeling. And the testimony should help you. But at the end of when we say amen and finish the service, you're going to walk out into your car and you're going to have to say, who is, who is Jesus to me? Because my testimonies, other than inspiring you and maybe igniting your faith a little bit, are not going to fix your life. Amen. What's going to fix your life is faith. What's going to fix your life is a, quick, a clear understanding to who Jesus is. And you're going to have to really get to a point to say, who do you say I am? Because one thing I've discovered about Jesus, and I'm still on a journey with everyone in this building and everyone watching me online. I'm still on the same journey. Over the years, you develop... It's, how many can... You know, if you agree with me, just wave at me or smile or something. But you, develop, you, you kind of develop certain areas of faith, and you get good at it. Right? And there's certain areas in our life that, you know, we kind of got this down. But there's other areas that we don't. And Jesus is who he is for you in different areas. You can have this, he's my healer revelation and walk in divine health. But you can be broke. Because you haven't gained the revelation of he is my provider. Are Are you with me? Or you can be rich and healed, but then everybody keeps breaking in your house. Because you have a revelation that he's your provider, you have a revelation that he's your healer, but you still haven't got the revelation that he's the one that protects you. Do you see where I'm going with this? So whoever, you know, who do you say I am, once again, is the connection that God will have with you. If he's your healer, then he's your healer. If he's your provider, he's your provider. And those aren't just by, okay, let me just go down the list. You grow your faith in each individual area. He's the fixer of my marriage. He's the one that's going to keep my kids off of drugs. He's the one that's going to walk with me. He's the one, you know, I cast all my cares. The more you, every, every area that you reach into Jesus, it's the same idea. What do you want me to do for you? Unless you tell him what you want, even though he has all the ability to do that and much more, you know, I'm not going to say he never does it because there's that area of grace and miracles that we've all experienced. Sometimes, you know, God just... It's like your kid's going to fall off a cliff and God gets you and you didn't ask to not fall off the cliff, but he's all like, Mike, this guy's stupid, let me help him a little bit. He, you know, he does that kind of stuff. But I'm talking about a, how can I put it, a practical, everyday Christian life where you understand what he did, you understand what his part is of this covenant and what is your part. Because we're spending way too much 
asking the wrong questions. We're spending way too much time, you know, engaging things that are very, very shallow. I'm even talking spiritually. Very shallow. You, you just see some of the stuff. You know, one time, we, Monica, remember this? When we first started going to Monterrey, I mean, you talk about shallow. I remember going down there, and, and these are these were, this was, these were pretty big things. They weren't like, you know, they weren't 20 people. Most of these meetings, we'd have two, 300, 400 people. And I remember the lead pastor that invited me, she's gone to heaven now, and, she, and she's a great lady, you know, but, but, but they get hung up on these things. And they sat me down, they all had this, this, this concerned face, and I'm like, what's going on? I says, well, we have a problem, it's because this. And you know what they came up with? This, this is a long time ago. You guys are going to laugh. They were all worked up because somebody wrote a book about how Barney and the Smurfs were demonic. Are you kidding me? And, and they were all, they were all, they were like really serious about this. I'm like, well, he is purple. That's the color of royalty, isn't it? I mean, it's, uh... No, they were like, Pastor, we need to address this. I'm like, wait, 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 what? And I wasn't that spiritually mature back then. I still could say, like, you guys got to be kidding me. This is what you're drowning in? The whole country's going to hell, and you're drowning on Barney? I mean, that's the kind of stuff that if we're not, you know, I'm using that. That's a true story. These are pastors. These are ministers. These aren't just lay people. These are people that are really concerned about some dumb thing that came down the pipe, and they embrace it because, you know what, they're not asking the right questions. And, and, and don't judge these pastors. They're great people. But guess what? We fall into that all day, all the time, in our own little different version of it. Because we have to say, who do you say I am? And I want to leave you with that this morning. You know, who do you say? What is it? I've got a couple of notes I want to finish. But, you know, do, is he the Christ to you? Is he the anointed Messiah? Because once that is settled, there's not a whole lot of room for defeat. Come on, somebody. There's not a whole lot of room to lose. Because even if, if you think you're losing here, you're still winning over there. You know, losing your life here doesn't mean you're lost. Losing your life here and not being born again, you lost. Losing your life here and being born again, you win. So we don't, we don't lose, but while I'm here on earth, I want to have a simple, basic, childlike faith that reaches in. You know, my kids, they were raised a little different because, you know, different circumstances. But I can tell you, for example, my grandson being raised the way he's being raised now, he has no context of lack. You know, it's not there. You know, I, don't, I, don't, I never see him stressing out, like if he asks me for a sandwich, if there's going to be bread or not. Because if there's not bread, we're going to go buy some, right? Come on, church. When you're raised with a context where there's no lack, then what is it? Then lack is not an issue. <laughs> you know, do you think the Queen Elizabeth and her kids, they stress out about, you know, the car payment? <laughs> or Bill Gates? Or, that's not an issue with them. Now, they have a lot of other issues. Bill Gates couldn't save his marriage, I'm just saying. You know, if he was hanging out with Epstein, maybe he'd be all right. I mean, just crazy stuff. But, you know, money's not, and I'm not, I don't want to go all over the map, but I'm just saying the engagement of it is the same thing. The depth of it is because if Jesus is my healer, then he's my healer. If he's my provider, he's my provider. He's the one that protects me, he protects me. And I just keep going down the list. But there, even that, there's something deeper. Because even though we're putting all these labels 
on the things that he has the ability to do, and I'm receiving them by faith, what happens if we just go all the way down and say, Jesus is my friend? Now it just takes care of everything, right? Because if Jesus is my friend and Jesus is my big brother, then I should have no context of lack. I should have no context of defeat. I should have no context of anything because in every area he wins. And, and, and the, the whole point of this, of, of this teaching is to get you to engage more with Jesus by asking questions. And I challenge you, format your prayer life. Instead of a lot of requests, how about, even if you have to turn your requests into questions, right? And I, you know, I told you my little story about the, you know, the Achilles tendons and what I had to do and what I had to adjust, and once I adjusted it, God put his super on my natural, and my natural did what it was supposed to do. And yesterday, I actually was playing basketball, and I hadn't played basketball in years. Because last time I played, he almost killed me. You and Torres, remember that? Y'all don't remember that. No comment. No, that wasn't the last time I played. I used to play a lot of basketball. But one time, I decided to play him and another guy, two against one, and I, was, I had them, man. They were, like, about to puke out here in the back. And then he tripped me on purpose. That's my story. I'm going to stick with it. I almost broke my ankle. That's a true story. When they say break your ankles, this was a literal break your ankles. <laughs> it was all good. It was a long time ago. Did you get anything out of all that this morning? Go ahead and stand with me this morning. As you stand, I just want to read you a couple, couple notes out of this. Thank you, Holy Spirit. What's the next slide after that, RJ? I'm just curious. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, leave that one up there. I was going to read that note. At some point in all of our lives, we are faced with a similar question. Who do we say Jesus is? Is he a prophet? Is he a moral teacher, a heretic, the son of God? Who is Jesus? Because whatever he is to you, that is what he will be to you. And I want to invite you this morning. You know, maybe it's almost, I know, I look across this room, I could one, almost 100% sure everyone in this room is born again knows Jesus as their Savior. Obviously, I can't tell online. But I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to come to him this morning. Make this service special. I want you to approach him like maybe you've never approached him before. And I want you to pray a little prayer right now as I'm praying for you, and just make sure it's a question in that prayer. Father, we just thank you this morning. And I pray for everyone, anyone that's watching this, anyone that will go back and listen to a podcast. But Father, we want to come to you as children this morning. We want to come to you as a child that has no idea of lack, that daddy has lack, because they've never experienced it. And Father, we serve the creator. We serve the God that breathes galaxies. Yeshua is Yahweh. Jesus is Lord. And that's the Lord that we serve. If you've never given Jesus a chance in your life, why don't you invite him right now? I'm not going to lead you through a prayer. I was about to and said, Lord, no, do it different. Just say, Jesus, I want you in my life. That's all you have to say. Don't spiritualize it more than that because that's anyone that calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what the Bible says. See, we formatted a little cute little Baptist, I call it Baptist prayer. Nothing wrong with it. It's, It's valid. Sometimes all you just got to say is, Jesus, I need you. Try it this morning. Don't ask him for anything. Just say, Jesus, I need you. And 
Father, as we are here in your presence, as we are here in this house of prayer, I ask you to teach us to ask the right questions. Lord, how would you have us navigate today? Lord, how can I control my temper? Lord, how can I control my emotions? Lord, how can I manage my money better? Lord, how can I raise my kids better? Lord, how can I be a better dad? How can I be a better mom? How can I be a better friend, a better brother? All questions. Lord, how can I go deeper in you? Lord, how can we change our community for better? Lord, how can we engage somebody this week and show them Jesus? Not Faithway, Jesus. Lord, we are all men and women that need a Savior. We are all men and women that are broken in some form or fashion. And we cry out to you, Lord. Help us this morning. Help us ask the right questions. Help us engage our thought process. Help us engage the super with the natural. Help us have reasoning. Help us understand the movement. And we receive, not not only we, we are not asking questions, we are receiving downloads on how to be better in every area of our lives. And we say, I say, you are my Savior. You are my Lord and King. The same God that dug me out of a hole in 1992, September of 1992, is the same God that is working with me today. You are my healer. You're not a God of religion. You're not a God that is subject to four walls in a sermon. Show us your ways, Lord. gets to working on them. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Father, we worship you this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We give you glory and praise for everything you're doing right now. God is doing some work in some of you. You need to leave out of this building knowing that, that peace is the goal. Peace is the goal. Peace in your workplace. Peace at your home. Peace with your finances. Peace within your body. Peace in your marriage. Peace with your God. Peace. And the way you get peace is this is the way. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. 
Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clip this morning. You may be seated. God bless you. Glory to God. Will you enjoy that this morning? God is so good. Amen. find where I want to go because I just felt a different change of channel before I give you the wrong scripture. I think I, I just want to go there right now. I want, I want to show you something and I want to talk a little bit about it and, um, and then we'll be, we'll be dismissed. Okay, go to Nehemiah chapter 13. We talked about this the other day. Nehemiah or the table of contents. <laughs> you can't find it. It's one of those books that we don't spend a lot of time. But this is there's a lot of good stuff in the book of Nehemiah. So Nehemiah, as you know, was on the mission to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. That was his mission. They were enslaved at the time, and he actually asked for permission, and he got it. So he did his job, you know. He, he fulfilled what he was called to do. But then something else, as they got excited, they built the wall, and then they got excited and began to... The temple had been abandoned, the church had been abandoned if you want to use the word, modern word church had been left, things were in disarray and in, and in this the, the high priests had lost their, their vision, really their purpose in life, so in all this the high priest, I'm just going to give you the, you know, the quick story so I don't read the whole thing he decided to rent out a room inside the church except the room was the room that was usually used to store the tithe and to store the grain and to store all the stuff they would store in the temple to take care of the Levites. Now, i got to give you all the story so you get where it's going. The Levites were in charge of the temple. They were the priests, the musicians, all that. You know, the ushers, everybody. You know, you could say all the people that help in the church would be Levite ministry. Except the Levite versus all the other tribes, they didn't get land because they were supposed to stay in the temple. Now, they, they acquired land by, you could buy land, you could purchase it, but by inheritance they didn't get any. They said, you are dedicated to the temple. Well, because there was no food in the temple, well, the Levites went and got a job, right? That's what they did. They had to support their family. So everything's going on, and Nehemiah shows up, and, is trying to, and he looks at the temple, and everything's in disarray. Things are out of place. There's this guy, Tobias, living where, in the room where he's not supposed to be, and he gets really irritated. <laughs> and now that takes us up to verse 8. So I just took you from verse 1 to 8. And in verse 8... Well, let me just, verse 7, and that will summarize everything I told you. And I came to Jerusalem and understood of the evil that Eliashib did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the court of the house of God. And it grieved me sore, therefore I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. you got to love King James because it's so, it's so courteous. In other words, he threw him with all his stuff out. That's what it's saying in modern English. He moved in there, got all his junk, threw him out. Then I commanded, and they cleansed the chambers, and thither I brought again the vessels of the house of God with the meat offering and the frankincense, and I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them. For the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled every one to his field. In other words, they had to go get a job. Then I contended with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And that's what I want you to grab onto. And I gathered them together, and I set them in their place, then I brought all of Judah, the tithe of the corn, and the new wine, and the oil, and the treasure. In other words, Tobiah had such a passion and such a love for the church of God and to the house of God 
that he was so frustrated. Tobiah wasn't a, he wasn't like a big shot. He was really nobody. He was just some guy that God called him on a mission. But he was so, you know, it bothered him so much what was happening. And the reason I'm telling you this is because here, here I want to, I want to give you guys a little statistic. I haven't checked it out, but it came from a good source. It came from a, a pastor that I respect. And I guess, you know, I'm, I'm going to assume he studied it, but I'll give you the number if I'm off. If, it, it would be pretty close, but he said that 40%, pay attention now, 40% of evangelical churches in America shut down permanently during COVID. 40%. Now, there's tons of little tiny churches everywhere. You go to every little town, you guys drive through. So, yes, there's a lot of little churches, a lot of big churches, a lot of mid-sized churches. But my point is that one of the missions that COVID had was that to stop God. That's the, you remember when I talk about natural spiritual? So you have a natural part of it, but you got a spiritual part of it. And, you know, somehow Faithway navigated through this. Glory to God. We're still here. But as you can tell, we're not here here. Where am I going with all this? The only thing you can do with what I'm teaching you right now or what I'm teaching is just do your part. You can't do any other part. You can't do my part. I can't do your part, but you can do your part and I can do my part. Well, there's two parts because first of all, what is successful ministry? Let's define what is success. Before we say a big church with a lot of people, is that success? No. Success is life's changed. It can be one or it can be a million. But success is a life that's been impacted, that the life was broken here and because of the influence of God and God used a church, it's God, not the church, but God used a church. Are you with me? And that church is not the four walls. That church is everyone. We are the church. We are the body. And God's using you. And I love something that Kathy said earlier, you know, during praise and worship about even through difficult times, we pull as a family. You know, we've gone through some things. There's families here, and you know what I'm talking about, has gone through something that that is, that is devastating at every level. But you know what? There's a support system because there's a body of believers that we love each other in that context that we're there for each other. So, so a church is a whole lot more than walls. You know, one of the heartbreaking things of people that I know that, that leave a church, including mine, you know, people come and go all the time, so I'm, I'm used to that. But what is heartbreaking is when they go, but they don't really go to another church. They just go because as a pastor, I'm thinking, well, they just destroy their whole support system. They got offended at something I said or something I did or misunderstood something, and, and, and they just took off. And yes, they can divorce themselves from me, but they just divorce themselves from a whole structure of support. Do, do, do you get where I'm going with this? So the house of God has various aspects. You know, we need two things to function as a house of God. This is, you know, this is very, very simple. We need a strong body. I didn't say big body. I said strong body. Meaning believers that love each other, believers that get it, believers that understand, vision. I was explaining this to people long, uh, last year, saying, he says, our church is not big in numbers, but what our church has grabbed onto is not faith way, they grabbed onto a vision. And it's not Pastor Box's vision anymore, it's their vision. And because of that vision, we get stuff done. Do you agree with that? Because if our church decides to do what we're, you know, we're in nations, we're doing this, it still, it still amazes me. But my point about where I'm saying all this, where I'm going with all this this afternoon is, you know, make sure you love your church. Make sure that you do your part, that the house of God is not forsaken. 
because there is not promised to anybody. It's not promised to me. Now, I believe we'll be, we're going to be here till Jesus comes. But that doesn't mean, you remember what I told you about let's reason? We got spiritual, we got natural, and then we got reasoning. Well, people come to church, and everything in that world costs them a ton of money, but when they come to church, somehow they feel money's not an issue here. And it is an issue. Because, you know, when you get an $1,100 light, uh, light bill, you need to pay it or you don't have electricity next week. They, they don't want spirituality. You understand that? They don't want to say, oh, well, we're at church. Could y'all? They're like, hey, that's wonderful. Uh, tell God to pay us. Because <laughs> if somebody doesn't pay us, we're whacking you. You know, so, so if you're not careful, you go, oh, we're church. We're spiritual. Yes, but there is nothing that guarantees you that this church will be here next Sunday. The only thing that is a guarantee is your assumption that it's going to be here. Which is, by the way, we'll be here. Don't get scared. I already told you, we're going to be here until Jesus comes. I believe God. But the assumption is a dangerous thing. Because we can all assume that somebody else is carrying the load. We can all assume that somebody gives money. We can all assume that everything else, somebody's taking care of it. And the problem with that is if enough people assume that, then the church collapses. You end up with Tobias. You end up with somebody, that's not a spirit that's not supposed to be in the church. And what happens? You, I've seen all that. You get a pastor that is desperately trying to hang on to his church, so now every sermon he preaches is about money. You've seen those, right? And now it's now that he, then that's not working, so now he becomes he starts abusing people and extorting people and schemes and scams, and now they're trying to sell oil, and now they're trying to do all kinds of things, and the church is just collapsing. All, well, guess what? This church, you'll never, don't worry about this because you'll never get that in this church. And you will never get that, I promise you. You'll get the word. And all I'm saying with this is, no, we're, we're not in a bad shape. You know, we're, we're doing what we do want to do. You know, there's things we want to get done. We want to get our carpet done. We want to get other things done. But there has to be, beside the money, this is not even about money, is what is your heart to what God is doing? And I think I said this last Sunday, but it was good. Last Sunday, and I'll say it again because it's good today. You see, when you, anything you've ever gone through in life as a part of a church family, I'm almost done. You're still going to get out early today. <laughs> Maybe with two minutes, but you'll still get out early. We face challenges, right? God, you know, pastor, pray for me. Okay, we pray, things get resolved. But here's what you're going to understand, or you, you call sister so-and-so, or you call brother so-and-so. You know, somehow you went through a crisis, somebody in the church was there for you, it got done, God answered prayer, what have you. We've all experienced some form of fashion then. Well, what's happening? So you say, you know, I've been going, and there's nothing wrong with this, but you say, so you tell somebody, I'm going to faith, wait, oh, that church has blessed me. Wait, wait, that's, I, I know what you're saying, but what you're really saying is, God blessed me through the church. Oh, Pastor Boggs, he's, I'm going to, self-serving, right? Pastor Boggs is such a good guy, and he doesn't preach long, and he lets us out early. <laughs> I've been so blessed under Pastor Boggs' ministry. No, scratch all that. God blessed you through a pastor. The pastor didn't bless you. The church didn't bless you. God blessed you through whatever venue he chose. Okay? What's the natural response? You bless God back through the same venue that he blessed you. This is, this is not deep. God bless me through whatever this is. Your responsibility is make sure this, whatever this is, keeps providing good news. Whatever this is, it can be a pastor, it can be a church, it can be an organization, it can be a ministry. Whatever this is, now it's your responsibility to make sure that whatever this is, it keeps the voice going. 
because the way it's helped you, it should be helping other people. That's, your, that's the only assumption you need to do. You don't have to assume anything. I'm just going to say, okay, the Lord has blessed me through the church. The Lord has blessed me through this, you know, means. Then it's my responsibility to respond and make sure that whatever that venue is, and I use venue as kind of a really secular term, but whatever that was, a person or, a, or an organization, I got to do my part to support that. In other words, I got to bless God back through the same way he blessed me. Nothing wrong with giving money to whatever ministry, but you know, and I'm always, I've always told you guys, any person that comes here on this pulpit has my full endorsement to be partnered up with you. But your first responsibility is to your house of God. Come on, guys, your first responsibility is to your house of God. Because, you know, even if you're partnered up with Brother Copeland, at three in the morning, Brother Copeland's not going to pick up his phone. Brother Copeland's not going to come and pray for your baby. Brother Copeland's not going to do your, your weddings, your presentations, your funerals. He's not going to do any of that. He's a good man, loves God, but he's got his thing up in Fort Worth. Nothing wrong with partnering up, but if you don't take care of this, there is no promise anywhere except our faith that this will prevail. That's the only promise we have. So, you know, again, don't, 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 don't get weird because you guys assume a lot. I wonder why he's telling me this. No, we're not going anywhere. I got nothing else to do but put up with y'all. That's what I do. I love y'all. I'll go texting Freddie, all y'all. Just, you know, just do your part, amen? If you need an envelope for your giving, raise your hand. I got so much more I can say, but I need to get quiet. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Go ahead and rise with me. And there's information on the screen. And thank you guys for all your support. Thank you guys for everything. And, you know, we're, we're trying to get our, our rhythm back. The second thing I didn't say is what you can do is you keep encouraging people to come back to church. You keep encouraging people to fill up the seats again. Amen? I know there's, I mean, it's just this this fear and this crazy stuff but you know don't judge people don't criticize people don't be ugly to them but keep encouraging people and I want to challenge everyone bring somebody with church you next Sunday even if it's a regular person somebody's supposed to be here just but, but make that challenge in your life if I, even if I have to go pick them up even if I have to bribe them with a lunch after church it might be stripes but I'm going to get them you know just do your part that's all I'm asking I'm, you know I'm doing my part I'm here you know hopefully I'm hearing of the Lord. You know, these messages, I don't just go online and there's hours and hours and hours and hours of cooking these things for you. So you should appreciate that. And just do your part. Invite people, bring people, encourage people, be a blessing. Father, we thank you, Lord. What a great day. I'm telling you, your presence is here. And Lord, Father, we know Faithway's been here almost 30 years and it will continue in its mission and focus and outreach bigger and better. So we're not going anywhere, Lord. But I do pray that these words, even for our online audience, that they know they're part of this, that we need them, that we need to be, you know, that that they can engage with us, that they can support the the call, even wherever they are and all over America, even into other parts of the world that are listening to us today. But I just thank you, Lord, for the house. I thank you for the in-house, the ones that pay the bills, the ones that keep the machine running, that, Father, this faithway has been a blessing to many, 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 many people throughout our history here in Hebronville, Or may I correct myself, Lord, you have been a blessing to many, many people through Faithway. And Father, we just thank you, Lord, that this church is here. I thank you for these amazing people that are here this morning. Until I see them again, I pray the peace of God that passeth all understanding. Go with them wherever they go. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. You may deposit your offerings as you leave and shake somebody's hand, hug their neck. And...
Wednesday, 6.30 p.m., our prayer service. We should be back on schedule this Wednesday, and if I don't see you then, hopefully I'll see you.